That's been our, uh, a song to our bumper throughout this Christmas season and this Christmas uh, series. But our series is titled Adore Him. And here is the premise that life would change if we lived in constant adoration of who Jesus is. If you and I were in a constant posture of praise and reminding ourselves how good God is, his incredible gifts, how would that change your workplace? How would that change your family? How would that change your anxiety? How would that change your complaints or your frustrations? What would it look like if we lived in constant adoration? Well, if we haven't met, my name is Danny Butcher. I'm the worship pastor here, and I'm excited to share with you. And we're going to talk about somebody that we find in the Christmas story that we don't talk about very often. His name is Simeon. And Simeon knew how to adore the Messiah. He knew how to adore Jesus. But adoring God, praising him, thanking him for what he's done, thanking him for what he's going to do, is easier said than done oftentimes when things don't go the way we expect them to go. When things are good, it's easier to say, man, God is good. When things are difficult, it is not our automatic reaction. So let's jump into the scripture here. Let's take a look at Luke chapter 2, verse 25 through 35. Mary and Joseph have taken Jesus to the temple to dedicate. In verse 25, it says this, At that time there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout and was eagerly waiting for the Messiah to come and to rescue Israel. The Holy Spirit was on him and had revealed to him that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Messiah. That day the Spirit led him to the temple. So when Mary and Joseph came to present the baby Jesus to the Lord as the law required... Simeon was there. He took the child in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people Israel. Jesus' parents were amazed at what it was being said about him. Then Simeon, verse 34, said, uh, Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He has been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Simeon had been waiting for this moment with hope, not just because he was an optimistic person, because he trusted what God had told him, and he trusted in what God was doing. Let's take a moment and pray. Lord, you are so faithful. God, we often say things like it is difficult to trust you when things don't go right. But Lord, it would be an understatement to say the last couple years haven't been difficult. But Lord, 
we choose to look back and see all that you have done. And in this moment, we choose to remind ourselves of your faithfulness and we look towards the future with hope. Open our hearts. Open our minds. Allow us to focus on you as we respond to your goodness in your name. Amen. So Christmas is a time of waiting, right? Simeon was waiting. Simeon had waited a long time. We'll get into that in a moment. But Christmas is a time of waiting. For children, it's a time of waiting. Kids are so excited about the gifts they receive, and there's kind of that incredible moment of coming downstairs and seeing the Christmas tree lit up with gifts underneath it. And I can remember as a kid waiting patiently for that and honestly not really waiting patiently. Was anybody here sneaking around and trying to find gifts that your parents bought for you? I'm very thankful. My kids, for some reason, don't take after me in this area. Like, they all understand, man, this ruins the surprise. But I was intent on ruining the surprise as a kid, right? That anticipation, what am I going to get? What what is that going to look like? I asked for this. Am I going to get this? I, I remember always trying to find a way where I could sneak around when no one was looking and no one was paying attention. There is great anticipation of what is going to happen on Christmas morning. And as I was preparing for this moment, I was reminded one of the late night talk talk show hosts um, encourages people to prank their children on Christmas morning with fake gifts. And in the first, it's about an eight minute video clip we're not going to watch, but in about the first 20 seconds you're laughing when a kid gets like a can of beans. And they're like, oh, that's funny. And then a couple minutes in, you're going, this is pretty messed up. You got kids screaming and stomping their feet. And my first thought as a parent is like, man, that kid needs to behave better. And then you're like, these parents are torturing this kid for the world to see. There's one where a kid is like crying and screaming for minutes. And the parents are just like, oh, 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 this is great. Like, I'm just thankful they aren't my parents, right? Like, that's that's a terrible thing to do because on Christmas morning, we're excited for what is to come? What are we waiting for? So even as I found that video, I found another video I think is a little bit cuter and is a little more life-giving. So there is a, a parent, there is a two parents that have decided instead of to give their young toddler a gift, they're going to give her a banana. Let's watch this together. That's awesome. That's awesome. I love how the parents are trying to mess with her, and she just responds with this incredible thankful heart. And this is the point in the sermon where the pastor is supposed to say, what if we all had that perspective of that toddler, right? <laughs> but that's, I, that, I thought that was pretty darn cute. But, but waiting for things is hard. Waiting for things is not enjoyable. What is worth waiting on. What is not worth waiting on? I, I'm not on a social media much, but I tend to get on social media to like wish my wife a happy birthday once a year or to try to get a little help with a sermon analogy. So I'd ask people this week, what are some things that are worth waiting for? And I posted a picture of a hot pocket. 
And uh, with all due respect to the Hot Pocket Empire, I don't think a Hot Pocket is, waiting, is worth waiting for if you wait the two minutes of cooking it in the microwave or if you decide to put it in the oven. But people had come up with many different ideas of things that were worth waiting for. One person said strangely, waiting long enough for your mustache to get longer. And somebody else said, waiting for the end of the sermon. And I was like, that's not very nice. And, and um, you know, we had people say, it's worth waiting for Chick-fil-A. It's not worth waiting for McDonald's. Or it's worth waiting to reheat your pizza in the oven, not to reheat it in the microwave. Or waiting for your house to be done, which my wife would amen that. Hopefully it's worth it. We're at the end of a long construction project, and we're, we're going to be in by Christmas. Um, you know, uh, some strange Coug fan said, waiting for the Cougars to get an Apple Cup win, and, you know, we know they're going to have to wait a lot longer to get their next one. And anyways, um, or, you know, people that genuinely saying waiting nine months for a baby is an incredibly precious time, or waiting for healing waiting for God to answer your prayers. But here's the thing. Waiting patiently with a good attitude is weird. That's not the way that we live our lives. Our automatic reaction when we're not getting what we want, when we want, when we want the oompa loompa now, daddy, is we get frustrated. We don't merely just go, oh, you know what? Everything's good. I just know it's coming anyways. Uh, the human reaction is to get frustrated. When you're waiting on, on kind of getting rescued, re- waiting on, on receiving the thing you're hoping for. I remember at 18 years old, I went up to Stevens Pass to snowboard for a day with some buddies of mine. and It was my buddy's car, and it blew a head gasket on the way back, and we're stuck on Highway 2 before, on the way back before you even get to, like, Skycomish. And, of course, our cell phones aren't working, and we're trying to get back. And, and our, at this time, I grew up on the Kitsap Peninsula, so not only am I far away on Stevens Pass, but then I'm a ferry ride away, and my parents are far away. And we're just trying to figure out, 18 years old, what we're going to do. And uh, my buddy, his, his parents had haphazardly met a family from, I think, the Gold Bar area in passing, and they happened to get their number months before, so they just called them randomly. And so as, as his Jeep was taken to the wreck yard, and, and we went to a family's house who I did not know, and even the person who was connected to them didn't know them. And I will tell you, it is very awkward sitting in someone's home you don't know for a couple hours on their couch waiting for a ride. And, and let me tell you, What's even more awkward is sitting on, there's two couches, and me and my two buddies are sitting on one couch, and there's another couch, and this family had a foreign exchange student, and her foreign exchange student was sitting on the couch with her boyfriend, and what felt like for a couple hours, they were making out the whole time. <laughs> that, I, I was very much looking forward to being rescued, to that ride showing up. I mean, honestly, still to this day, I'm like, oh, gosh, that was so awkward, right? You're waiting, you're waiting, you're waiting. Maybe sometimes, maybe at some point, I will get saved, I will get rescued. We know this as we look at the scripture. Simeon waited a long time. Now, we don't know how long, but long enough to where Luke decided to include him in the gospel. 
In his gospel account, as he was investigating the story of Christ, he decided to include him in the gospel. And some, a lot of theologians think that uh, Mary's perspective is a heavy influence on the gospel of Luke, which would make sense because we get details about the birth of Jesus, um, you know, really in, intense details where we wouldn't get those really from anybody other than Mary. And we know at the time Luke wrote his gospel that at the best we understand, Joseph had passed on then. And we know Joseph wouldn't have remembered all those details anyways, right? That Mary definitely would have remembered those details. But, but Luke chose to include that Simeon had waited a long time. From best we can tell, Simeon is old, right? After he encounters Jesus, he says, thank you, Lord. Now your servant can depart in peace. What that tells us is Simeon wasn't like eating his manna Cheerios that morning. And the Lord said, hey, by the way, you're going to see the Messiah before you die. And he's like, okay, cool. He's like 26. And he just happens to go to the temple and then like, oh, sweet. God fulfilled his promise. Like that's not, that's not, not that that's not a great testimony, but this makes an incredible testimony because we know he had to wait. And not only do we want to understand that he waited a while, we need to understand the context and why it was so difficult to wait in this season. And as Simeon waited... He was devoted to the promise of Jesus, looking for Jesus, and he was waiting to celebrate Jesus. That theme is going to come up a couple different times. He is devoted to the promise of Jesus in obedience. He's looking for Jesus, and he's waiting to celebrate Jesus. But as we look into the life and times, not only of Simeon in this moment, but of of the Jews in that time and God's people, we often forget that between Malachi and Matthew, there was about 400 years. And it's called the intertestamental period. And we have some historical facts in there. But the basic thing is this, is before then, God's people had really abandoned God. Many of them were in exile. God allowed their, their enemies to overtake them. They had defiled the temple. They had done some terrible things. They were not obedient to say the least. And that wasn't just like, oh, they didn't show up when they were supposed to. They had done some terrible, terrible things. And God had never given up on them in those times. But then we get to Malachi, and there's about a 400-year period where God wasn't speaking. Now, we know he didn't abandon them, and, and, and we actually could dive into it more and see that he was very much working that entire time. But God had been silent to his people as a whole in that time. And looking at this timeline, right about 536 to 333 B.C., they're under Persian rule, and, and the city walls were reconstructed. Some returned to exile, but a majority fall away from God, and God stopped speaking to his people then Alexander the Great takes control in 333 B.C. to 166 B.C. And Greek culture really infiltrates God's people. Not in good ways. Really, really draws their heart away from the things of God. And then Alexander the Great dies, and the kingdom is divided into four, and the Jews are under Greek rule. And then there's the Hasmonean period, 166 BC to 63 BC. Antiochus defiles the temple at this time, and then the Jews revolt um, 
It's called the Maccabean Revolt in that time. They return to Jerusalem and they cleanse the temple and they kind of have some independence and then they're conquered in 63 BC by the Roman general uh, Pompey. Herod becomes king. The temple is rebuilt. But Roman rule is in control without any hope of things changing. And one of the mistakes we make when we read the Bible is we go, oh, yeah, that was just 400 years. It was 400 years. That is older than our nation. Doesn't the last two years feel like an eternity sometimes? Like, I don't feel like the timeline after, I don't like to say the C word COVID too much because I'm just tired of talking about it half the time. But like, in the last couple years of COVID, I'm like, I don't know, this could have happened yesterday or 18 months ago. I don't know, right? It's been a crazy time, but can you imagine... Like, this is two years, 400 years. And what that's going to do to a people who were already unfaithful. They had very practical human excuses to doubt. Now, they shouldn't have, but they had very practical human reasons to not remain in obedience to God. Hope Faith and obedience running out. There's political insurrections and attempts at gaining power. There's people pretending to be the Messiah, trying to do the things they were supposed to do. They were conquered, despondent, divided, depressed, and seemingly lost to their own passions and unfaithfulness. There was no reason for hope. It had looked like God had abandoned them. You ever felt that? Maybe you feel that this morning. It's hard to trust God when we feel like he's abandoned us. But he had been faithful the entire time. And Simeon, because he chose to trust, because he chose to trust God, had an incredible opportunity to encounter the Messiah. See, Simeon in this time, this is what he could have done. Simeon could have disengaged. Anybody there? Sometimes it's just easier, like, I don't want to argue either side of this argument. I just want to step back. Simeon could have disengaged. Simeon could have abandoned God. Many others abandoned God. Simeon could have waited for others to act first. You ever sat back and thought, okay, God, well, once I see someone else respond in obedience and do the things they're supposed to do and I see that it works out, well, then maybe I'll step into that. Simeon could have done that. He didn't. Fourth thing, Simeon could have built a bunker in the ground and waited for the Messiah. Doesn't that kind of seem like a similar situation for us right now? Now, now, don't get me wrong. If you have a bunker that's in the ground, if you did, you probably wouldn't tell me about it, right? But if you have a bunker in the ground, I, I, you know, like I, I just want to, for a moment, I don't think there's anything wrong with preparing for difficult times, to say the least. I'm, I'm not coming against that by any means, but I'd like us to consider whether we have a bunker mentality. A bunker mentality is someone who is just focused on saving themselves. Now, you can prepare for difficult seasons and go, okay, if I prepare, that means I get to help my neighbors and other people in this season. But if we have the bunker mentality, let me encourage you with the fact it's very hard to love your neighbor from a bunker. 
When you're too focused on saving your own skin, it's hard to love someone else in the name of Jesus, partially because they become a threat to your safety, a threat to your resources. And again, I mean, it seems like rough times are ahead. So I'm not coming against preparing, but I am challenging us in this season as things are difficult Are you focusing on Jesus and what he said he's going to do? Or are you focusing on saving your own backside? Simeon could have disengaged, abandoned God. He could have waited for others to act first, and he could have just hid. But here's what Simeon did. He lived in obedience. Luke describes him as devout. That is not a description of an okay guy. Or a guy just kind of gives him, you know, kind of gives his best. Like, ah, you know, sometimes he's okay. Simeon was described as devout. He was in daily obedience. You know, we know that it says, the scripture tells us that he was led by the Holy Spirit to the temple that day. But he was living in expectation of Jesus to come. So he lived in obedience, he looked for Jesus, and then he celebrated Jesus. He lived in obedience, he looked for Jesus, and then he celebrated Jesus. See, Simeon had hope. He had hope. He had hope in what Jesus was doing. The the dictionary definition of hope is this. This challenged me this week. As I looked it up, the dictionary definition of hope is this, a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. What is the tense of this sentence? Future. You cannot hope in something you already have. You you hope in what is not yet. A feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. Simeon had hope that God was going to do what he told him he would do, right? We can thank God for what he's given us, but we have hope for, for him fulfilling his promises. My main point this morning is this. To hope is to wait. If you want to be a person of hope, you need to be a person that's okay with waiting. To hope is to wait, Hope is one of those nice words this time of year, like joy and, oh, this is so great. But what does it really mean to hope? Is it just like a good feeling when that one Christmas movie comes on or that one Christmas song comes on or you get excited because you get to buy gifts for the ones you love? No, hope is saying what is here now is not where my trust is. My hope is what is coming. My hope is in who Jesus said he is. My hope is in what Jesus said he would do. My hope is not in what I see now. To hope is to wait, right? And even as we look back at Simeon's example, we're reminded, why is this powerful? Because we looked, we look at his prolonged waiting. Seemingly most people around him were disobedient and fallen away. But, hope, but, but Simeon did not. He lived in hope. How does this apply to our lives? How do we take this 
and not just go, okay, well, if I'm ever at a point where, where you know, the Messiah is coming and I'm going to the temple every day, I'm going to respond just like Simeon did. How do, like, that's not the point. The point is how do we live like Simeon lived? The first thing I have for you is not earth-shattering. It is this. We need to obey him. You want God to move in your life? Obey him. Now, we know God is not transactional, but if you want the things of God that he has for you, you got to live in obedience. That's not a fancy thing. Like, I would love to come up with, like, a real cute statement on, like, oh, obedience is this, that, that, or the other, or we got to this. you got to obey him, right? In this story, we see Mary, Joseph, even the baby, Jesus, Simeon, and, and, and after this, they talk about the account, account of Anna that, that is a very similar situation, but they were all people in obedience. Joseph and Mary responded, took him to the temple when they were supposed to. Jesus was there to be dedicated. They were faithful and obedient. It's not earth-shattering, but it's true. Here's the problem. We know God's calling us to do certain things. We just don't always like it. Henry, Henry Blackaby says this, Our difficulty is not that we don't know God's will. Our discomfort comes from the fact that we do know his will, but we do not want to do it. I have not, I'm not going to stand up here and act like I've followed Jesus for 75 years, but I've had the blessing of being raised in a pastor's home. I remember at five years old at a power team show, heading up to give the call, or to respond to the call of salvation, and walking up at that time going, here I go to pray this prayer again. Like, I, I have, God has blessed me that I have been able to grow up in a family where Jesus was our focus. Now, as a pastor's kid, that just means the counseling I need is different than the counseling you need. But, but I, I, I stand on the shoulders of my grandfathers, my, my dad, my parents. But, but I will tell you this, no matter what I've gone through, I have never regretted obedience. But I can tell you where my list of regrets start. They start from a place of disobedient. See, that's the problem with the world changing. Young people, listen to me, it makes me sound old calling you young people, right? But in the, in the last, you know, things have changed drastically in the last two years, let alone 10 or 20 years. What you're enduring in school is far different from what I'm enduring in school. But let me tell you this, just like I was called to be obedient, you are called to be obedient. You are called to trust Jesus just like I was, just like Many others here were. And it's not fancy and it's not flashy, but it is true. We have to live in obedience. And what does obedience even look like? We see Jesus in Matthew 22, 37 through 40. It says this, Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. He was, at, he was asked, what's the greatest commandment? Ultimately, we look at this and go, this is how we respond in obedience to honor God. Second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. The entire law and all the demands of the prophets are based on these two commandments. You want to obey God? Love your neighbor well. You want to know what's become in vogue? Love, not loving your neighbor when they disagree with you. Right? I don't know 
I'm not going to make some sweeping statement like I know everything, but it sure seems like it's more culturally correct to not love somebody that disagrees with you. feels like that's a lot more correct today than it's ever been. That's been our focus today. So if you want to honor God, obey him, you need to respond in honoring him and loving your neighbor. James 1.22, and this is, this is a verse that will just kind of hit you between the eyes. It says, but don't just listen to God's word. Don't just listen, meaning listen, and then what do we do from there? You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. I can know that I should spend some serious time in the gym, but whether I do, I mean, you'd be shocked, but I don't spend as much time in the gym as you think I do. (laughs) But if we want the benefit of the truths of God, we need to respond in obedience. Second thing we can learn from Simeon is this. We must look for him. We need to look for him. We need to trust that he's moving even though we haven't seen it. We need to look for him. Oftentimes we're just kind of standing back, overwhelmed by our perspective, overwhelmed by our stresses, overwhelmed by what we're facing, and then once in a while it's like, oh, God's doing something. We need to be a people of expectation that Jesus is doing what he said he was going to do. Here's one of the mistakes we make. When we're not actively participating in what God is doing, or we're not praying, we feel like God isn't doing anything. Right? We feel like God is only moving when we're praying or only when we're willing to be obedient. The problem isn't that the Holy Spirit is or is not moving, but we don't know how and we haven't learned how to recognize when and where God's Spirit is moving. What would it look like if we were intent on seeing Him moving and then joining Him in what He's already doing? We need to be people that wake up in the morning and like, okay, is Jesus doing this over here? Okay, what about this? Like, we need to be expecting that he's moving. But often we're just like, oh, man, God, where are you? God's saying, I've, I've been here the whole time. Where, where have you been? Hebrews 12 says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us, us, trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. Verse 2, hear this. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. We're like, oh, we're just going to work hard and we'll think about Jesus later. No, we can do these things when our eyes are on Jesus. Jude 1, and 22 says, but you, beloved, build yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Our eyes need to be tuned to see what he's doing. Simeon was devout. Constantly going, okay, God promised, where is he? Is he here today? Is he there? Where is God? The third thing is this. We need to celebrate him. So we need to live in obedience and look for him, but when we find him, we need to celebrate it loudly. I love these powerful words of Simeon. We don't need it on the screen, but even just to go back to that verse, sovereign Lord, Simeon Christ, now let your servant die in peace as you have promised. I have seen your salvation, 
which you have prepared for all people. He is a light to reveal God to the nations, and he is the glory of your people, Israel. Simeon's statement in there is not about his faithfulness in the time, in that moment. It's not about how Simeon was there the whole time. God, I'm glad you showed up because I was ready for you. Now I have seen what you said you were going to do. We got to celebrate him. Hebrews 13 says, Therefore, let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share for which su- for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. He is calling us to celebrate who he is. You and I this Christmas season have an opportunity to celebrate who Jesus is. He is moving. He is doing things. He's in these celebrations. Are we going to credit him? You know, my kids were watching on, um, you know, there's a large family entertainment conglomerate that seems to own everything these days. And um, they have a streaming service. And one of their streaming services, they had somebody singing joy to the world. The Lord has come. Let, a, let earth receive her king. And then they're showing slides of the Lion King. And I'm like, man, you guys are trying hard to pull him out of it, aren't you? Like, I think we can talk about, you chose to sing the song. But Jesus is all over this season. Are we going to celebrate him? Are we going to cry loudly about who God is? 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18 says this. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. If we have joy and if we have thankfulness, we are people who are looking for what God is doing. We are responding to his faithfulness over and over and over again. That is the spiritual principle we need to have the corner on in this Christmas season. But it's not always easy. But it is good. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful, not in some circumstances, in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Back to my main point this morning. To hope is to wait. So don't say you want hope if you're not willing to wait. To hope is to wait. But who are you waiting on? You're waiting on your effort Are you waiting on your bank account? Are you waiting on your political party? Are you or are you waiting on the King of kings and the Lord of lords? Are you trusting in the Son of God who has transformed the world, is transforming the world, and he's coming back? Guess what? I don't know the date or time, but I do know how I'm supposed to live. I'm supposed to live in obedience. I'm supposed to look for him, and I'm supposed to celebrate every time I see him. So how do we respond even in this Christmas season? I I would just say this. Are you celebrating Christmas? I love Christmas. I'll take all of it. 
I can do eggnog like once, but like I, I'll take all of it. Are you celebrating Christmas this season? Or are you celebrating the person and work of Jesus Christ? Are you celebrating his goodness or are you celebrating your favorite holiday baking? Let me encourage you. You can celebrate his good gifts like holiday baking and celebrate him at the same time. Another thing I want to bring up, what does your Christmas table look like this season? Now, you won't be surprised that this is one of the the most divisive times in recent memory. I can't tell you how many stories I've heard of families choosing not to get together because of things that are dividing us right now. Are you going to include people that disagree with you? Or what if someone refuses to be with you because of a decision you've made or not made or whatever? Are you still going to love them? Because this is something I know about family, friends, and loved ones is it's not easy at all times to have those relationships. So I'd encourage you as you head to the Christmas table this year, as as you head for Christmas dinner, right, as you might be looking at something that might might have the possibility of being divisive or maybe a struggle. Are you going to welcome somebody that you don't feel like welcoming? Let me encourage you. You need to expect that someone's probably going to say something that offends you. And choose not to respond. You need a plan to love them. You need to silence your opinions. And you need to exalt people and ultimately have the name of Jesus on your lips. Friend, let me encourage you. If you're heading into the Christmas table right now and you're going, man, my family needs to hear this new new thing I found out. Or here's this new scientific information. Or here's this new YouTube video we need to watch. Push pause, please. That can be a place of restoration. Are you going to choose for it to be a place of division? I know Jesus isn't looking for that from you. How are we going to respond in our time of waiting? Simeon was full of hope and commitment. What are we full of right now? I want to close out by reading Romans 8. It's a little chunk of scripture, but I'm pretty sure we can handle it. So do me a favor. If you'd stand with me in this moment, I, I really want to kind of unite our hearts and our mind, and we're gonna, I'm going to read this scriptural, scripture prayer, prayerfully in this time. So I'd invite you, close your eyes, find yourself in a posture where you can concentrate. And let's let the words of the Apostle Paul, but ultimately the words of the living God wash over us this morning. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who his children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedoms from death and decay. 
For we know all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. We believers also groan even though we have the Holy Spirit with us as a foretaste of future glory for we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he's promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently in this hope. Jesus, forgive me, Lord, for so easily having hope in so many other areas of life. Lord, forgive me for even having hope in good things that are not centered on you. We wait with expectation. Lord, you are worthy of our obedience, our celebration. Jesus, in this room, if there is anybody here that has not yet said yes to the hope of Jesus, let me encourage you. God's grace and forgiveness for what you have walked through, what you have done, it does not stop and it does not end. So if you want to respond in this time, I just say, Jesus, I thank you for all you've done for me. I don't have it figured out, but I trust you. It's my leader, my king, and my God. It's as easy as that. But then we step forward in obedience. We encourage you, even because we want to follow up with you, put it on the connection card. If you're online, write it in the comments. We want to follow up with you. But Jesus is here today calling us to hope. Lord, you are so faithful. You have never left us. We wait on you joy, expectation, and hope. In your name. Amen. Would you sing with us and the worship team here for a few minutes before we